Hello and welcome to Hugh's Joy of Food, a bite-sized podcast celebrating all that's amazing about everything edible, from the simplest snack to the fanciest feast. I'm Hugh Smithson-Wright, and this week on Hugh's Joy of Food, I review my family's favourite restaurant, the wonderful Roger Hickman's in Norwich, reassure a value-conscious listener who's worried about getting ripped off in restaurants in Ask Hugel, And vampires beware, because gorgeous garlic is my treat of the week. Each week on Hugh's Joy of Food, I review a restaurant in some way, whether it's one I've eaten at recently, a takeaway, or a make-at-home meal kit. First, a disclaimer. My job as a restaurant PR and consultant means that I'm paid to promote the interests of the handful of restaurants I represent. If I feature a client on this podcast, I'll make that clear, like I do on my social media channels, And in all cases, I'll make it clear if all or any part of a meal I review was complimentary. You can rest assured that everywhere I review, I recommend. This show is about the joy of food, so if you're looking for vicious eviscerations, this probably isn't the podcast for you. With that out of the way, it's time for this week's review. Although I was born and grew up in Dorset on the south coast, some years ago my immediate family migrated eastwards to Norfolk, and it's to Nelson's County that I now return for birthdays, Christmases and occasional visits. For someone who loves their food and cares about its provenance as much as I do, you couldn't ask for a more culinary county. It's renowned as being the source of the best English asparagus. Samphir and saffron grow there. The waters off Cromer offer up the sweetest crabs. Its free-range pork is made into delicacies including braised cottages, sensational pork pies and marsh pigs' outstanding charcuterie and it's home to some of the most famous British food brands, like Coleman's Mustard and, of course, Bernard Matthews' Bootiful Turkey. Perhaps most famously, Norwich City Football Club is owned by none other than the woman who taught many of us how to cook, Delia Smith. And as well as being home to the Canaries, Carrow Road Stadium also houses Delia's Cookery Academy. Given this local bounty and copper-bottomed culinary credentials, it will come as no surprise that Norfolk is home to a great many restaurants whose chefs strive to make the most of the county's abundance. But few do it with quite the same level of flair and consistency as Roger Hickman, to whose eponymous fine dining restaurant in Norwich my family and I have been going very happily, mostly for special occasions but sometimes just because, for a decade or more now. Roger Hickman's restaurant is on Upper St Giles Street, a lovely little foodie enclave just outside of Norwich city centre, which visitors to the city, naturally drawn to landmarks like the castle, the market and the tombland area around the Anglican Cathedral, might miss. But if you're in Norwich, a fine city, you should add it to your itinerary, as you'll find it's home to a number of cafes, specialist food shops including a bakery, and various gift shops and boutiques. The jewel in the crown, though, is Roger Hickman's, to which my most recent visit, which I'm basing this review on, was for my mum's 83rd birthday. We were joined by my sister Helena, who, ten years previously, to the day, and possibly the minute, had sought me and mum out there, as we celebrated mum's 73rd birthday, to tell us that she was going into hospital the next day to have her first baby, my eldest nephew and mum's first grandchild, delivered. I did say it was our place for special occasions. To start with the room... Roger Hickman's has two dining spaces, a sage green painted front dining room lined with caramel leather bonquettes and a raised area to the back with several smaller tables and a service bar. The walls are decorated with a mix of mirrors and colourful modern art, the overall effect being one of wholly contemporary but very relaxed luxury. 
It feels smart without ever feeling stiff. Mum not being able to walk too far, we were kindly seated at a comfy table near the door and settled in happily with a glass of birthday fizz to contemplate the menus. As at every lunchtime, the choice was between a taster menu of six and a bit courses for £50 or a set menu offering three choices for each of three courses at an incredibly reasonable £22 for two courses or £27 for three. We went for the latter, which happily offered all the most appealing dishes from the taster menu, but with the flexibility of not all having to have the same thing. After a delightful gazpacho amuse-bouche, the chroma crab I mentioned Norfolk being so proud of appeared in my starter as a generous serving of meticulously picked white crab meat alongside poached quails, eggs and cucumber, both in dice and as a ribbon, and garnished with Norfolk samphire. I can't think of a better example of how to let great produce sing while also demonstrating your chefy credentials than this. The technique and presentation were evidently the work of someone highly skilled, but sensitive enough to not let the additions overpower the delicate star ingredient. My sister's starter of chicken parfait with little nuggets of crispy chicken wing, celeriac remoulade and set mushrooms was just as impressive, and I have to say, considering that I recently saw a chicken liver parfait on a very famous restaurant's menu for more than the price of the entire set menu at Roger Hickman's, it demonstrated just what fantastic value fine dining this is. Helena and I both chose pork belly with celeriac and turnip for our main course, and were rewarded with a lovely large tranche of perfectly cooked glazed belly, with both a puree and cubes of roasted celeriac and mashed turnip. I liked this dish very much, not least because, for all that I love potatoes, I thought it was clever to serve root veg rather than spuds with the pork, as it made what could have been a rather heavy dish light enough for lunchtime. Mum, somewhat unusually for her, chose the vegetarian option of mushroom tortellini with puy lentils and spinach, which she loved, although she didn't quite finish the hearty portion of pasta, wanting to save some room for dessert. She was glad that she did, because in addition to her eaten mess, a modish deconstructed version with shards of meringue interspersed with fresh strawberries, vanilla ice cream, whipped cream and strawberry sorbet, she was presented with a beautiful little birthday cake on a plate piped with happy birthday, and I have the most wonderful photograph of her absolutely beaming with joy at this unexpected generous gesture. My cheese plate, featuring five fantastic cheeses with chutney and biscuits, tasted all the better for seeing the satisfaction on mum's face. Service was, as always, professional, solicitous and friendly. This is fine dining without the formality and the often elevated price tag. Three courses for three with aperitifs, a couple of mocktails for my sister, a bottle of wine and service came to £160 or just under £55 a head, which for the quality of both produce and cooking, generous portions and evident skill that goes into every dish is remarkable value. That said, if I have one tiny complaint about Roger Hickman's, and it really is my only niggle about a restaurant which I think it's evident I love in all other regards, it's that the wine list doesn't quite offer the same excellent value as the food. While there are a handful of bottles under or around £30, for the most part it's £40 and up, which can quickly push the bill up, especially at lunchtime. But let's forget about that and return to the fact that here, on a smart, quiet street in Norwich, is a restaurant that might not have had the kind of national recognition it so clearly deserves, but is nonetheless rightly treasured by locals and their visiting families alike. I'm fiercely loyal to the restaurants I love, but there aren't many that I've been going to on and off for over a decade and which have never let me down. Roger Hickman's is one such restaurant, and if ever you find yourself in Norwich or nearby, I'd highly recommend that you take it to the bosom of your family too.
For all information, visit Roger Hickman's restaurant, Hickman's is H-I-C-K-M-A-N-S dot com. Each week, I answer a listener's burning culinary question in Ask Hugel. This week, Bob from North London writes, Hey Hugel, prices in restaurants seem to have gone up so much recently. My wife and I love to eat out, but we're wary of being ripped off. We thought you might have some top tips on how to avoid this and always get the best value for money. Well, first of all, thank you, Bob, for this highly topical question. You're absolutely right that prices are going up left, right and centre and very noticeably in hospitality, which has been hit from multiple sides by Brexit, by the pandemic, by supply chain issues, from rising raw material costs, by rising wage bills, due in no small part to a staffing crisis which shows no signs of abating, the end of the furlough scheme and business rates holiday, to mention just a few. While I sincerely believe that the vast majority of restaurant owners are as honest as the day is long and only charge what they need to to cover their costs and scrape a profit, and not always that, I can totally understand why as a consumer you're feeling more cautious than ever about where you spend your money. Value in restaurants is also something of a hot topic at the moment, thanks to the opening in London of the latest restaurant in the Nusret chain, named after its flamboyant Turkish owner Nusret Gokçe, better known as Salt Bay, or the man who parlayed a meme into an international steak-salting sensation. Much has been made of some of the eye-watering prices on the menu. £100 for a burger wrapped in edible gold leaf, £630 for a similarly gilded tomahawk steak, 9 quid for a glass of pop none of which even guarantees that Mr Gokche will be there in person to salt your steak for the Instagram story you'll, pun intended, dine out on for months to come. But here's the thing with value, Bob. It's relative, not absolute. And one person's idea of good value may differ wildly from someone else's, or yours. Someone spending hundreds or even thousands of pounds on an objectively mediocre but for them unforgettable meal at Nusret that they'll get as much social mileage from as any holiday or other experience might think it's an absolute bargain. While on the other hand, you or I might go to a fast food chain, say, and spend maybe seven or eight pounds on a burger, fries and a drink. But if the burger's cold, the chips are limp and they've run out of ice so your soft drink's tepid, then you're going to feel ripped off. You might remember that a few episodes ago I reviewed Scots and said that I thought that our not atypical bill for two of £280 represented great value for money. And I stand by that. Value doesn't necessarily mean cheap. Value, to me at least, means that you feel that you've been charged a fair price for the product or service you've received and for the degree of pleasure it's given you. And only you can decide what fair in this context is. But you asked me for practical tips rather than my philosophical musings on the concept of value, Bob. And of course, there are some ways you can avoid being or at least feeling ripped off when eating out. First of all, taking my Scots example, there's a lot to be said for sticking with what you know. I know it's tempting to try new places. Goodness knows my career depends on it. But one of the best ways to ensure you get good value for money is quite simply to go back to places you know and like and trust. If you do want to try somewhere different, it's worth asking that restaurant you go to regularly if there's anywhere under the same ownership. Restaurants owned by groups as opposed to chains might not all have the same name, so you might not realise that that hot new restaurant you've heard about is owned by the same people as the local gem you know and love. If there is someone new on your radar but the prices seem a little steep, Check to see whether they offer a set lunch menu, like the one at Roger Hickman's I mentioned in this week's review, or a pre-fix or pre-theatre menu. 
most restaurants do, and provided the food on the set menu is the same style as on the a la carte. A particular bugbear of mine is restaurants whose set menu is made up of cheap-to-produce dishes that are very much the poor relation of what's on the full-price menu. This is a great way to try the food at a saving, if you don't mind being tied to the usually limited hours when these menus are available. Do check when booking that the menu you want is definitely being served at the time you've booked. Nothing leaves you feeling ripped off like finding out that the only option open to you is paying full whack when you were expecting not to. I've had some great bargain meals by signing up to newsletters and loyalty apps from restaurants I like. Of course, you don't want to fill your inbox up with endless marketing mails that you'll never read, but there are some good ones out there, and subscribers are usually the first to know about special offers and new menus. The restaurant recommendation website Hot Dinners is to me absolutely indispensable. As well as having a regularly updated guide to the best set lunch and other menus I've mentioned, they have frequent offers exclusive to their readers that offer as much as 50% off at new openings, so it's well worth signing up for their twice-weekly emails. Lastly, and perhaps most importantly, I think the very best way to ensure you get good value is to go by word of mouth. Ask your friends where they've eaten recently that they thought was good value, Keep an eye on social media, and when travelling, whether that's abroad or just outside of your local area, ask locals for where they recommend. On my honeymoon on the west coast of the US a couple of years ago, Dave and I discovered several great value under-the-radar restaurants by asking cab drivers, bartenders and fellow hotel guests where they like to eat, as often the best value places are the ones that don't spend a lot of money on marketing and don't appear in online guides. Ultimately, and unfortunately, you have to remember that however carefully you might choose where to eat, from time to time there's going to be the occasional disappointment. And while that stings, and really none of us, however well off we might be, likes feeling that we've wasted money, all you can do when that happens is chalk it up to experience and hope for better luck next time. But when you do find somewhere that offers great value for money, do everyone you know, not to mention the restaurant, a favour and shout about it from the rooftops. If you'd like me to have a go at answering your food-related question, you can tweet me at hrwright or send me an email to hrw at hughrichardwright.com. For my final segment, Treat of the Week, each week I share something food or drink-related that's been putting a smile on my face. This week it's that awesome allium, gorgeous garlic. Now... My regular listeners will both remember that in an early episode of Hugh's Joy of Food, I featured wild garlic, which was in season at the time, as my treat of the week, and I did think carefully about whether it was too soon to feature garlic proper in this segment. But wild garlic is to garlic as spring onions are to onions, loosely related but totally different in their uses. So here we are. I love garlic. Like, absolutely love it. It's rare for me to cook anything without adding garlic in some form. At any given time in my kitchen, I'll have bulbs of fresh garlic, jars of pickled garlic, ready chopped garlic, garlic puree, garlic salt, garlic granules, smoked garlic granules. You get the picture. I even have a wonderful garlic-enriched plum chutney called Vampire's Revenge, which a friend who lives on the Isle of Wight brought me from the garlic farm there. Their website, thegarlicfarm.co.uk, is a treasure trove of sauces, purees, relishes, chutneys of course, mayonnaises and other garlic-derived or infused ingredients, as well as their wonderful fresh garlic itself. But what is it I love so much about the vampire-repelling plant? For starters, few ingredients I can think of are more versatile. 
Garlic can be pounded with chilies and salt to make pastes, which are the base to Thai curries. Fried with onions to start off a pasta sauce. Mashed with butter to make garlic bread or to rub a chicken with before roasting. Roasted whole with said chicken until soft and sweet and spreadable. Blended with oil and spices to make aioli and rui. Its uses are endless. So versatile is garlic that in one of my most treasured cookbooks, the aptly named Garlic, Garlic, Garlic by Linda and Fred Griffith, there are fully over 200 recipes in which garlic is either the main ingredient or a notable part of the recipe, even down to desserts, although I'll admit that that would test even my devotion. Now, if you've listened this far nodding in agreement, well that's wonderful and I salute your good sense. But if you're a garlic sceptic or refusenik, then let me see if I can persuade you otherwise, because I'll bet I know what some of your objections are. First, you'll say the smell. You think that garlic, being pungent, is going to make your breath smell. And for sure, eaten raw, it may well do. But just about anything you do to garlic, whether it's frying it, roasting it or pickling it, retains the wonderful fragrance but takes away the harsher smell. You can, as I love to do, eat pickled garlic cloves from the jar as a nibble with cocktails, as you might olives or nuts, and be left with no more than the merest trace of a garlicky whiff on the breath, which a Blue Wrigley's extra will make disappear. You might also worry about or merely dislike the smell of garlic on your hands from handling and chopping it. Well, you've got a few options here. One is to use ready-chopped garlic, although I'm afraid that while this is undoubtedly time-saving, I don't find it retains enough of garlic's bite to be a viable replacement for the real thing. You can wash your hands with washing-up liquid, which I find gets rid of the smell very effectively. Or better yet, you can try the magic trick of simply rubbing your fingers against any stainless steel surface, your sink, say, or a piece of cutlery, and the smell will be gone. Another objection people have to cooking with garlic is that it's a faff to peel and chop, but I simply don't buy this. There are two ways to peel garlic easily. One is to slice off the fibrous stem end of the clove, then using the flat blade of a knife, press down on the clove until it splits, and the skin will just slide off. Or if even that's too much hassle for you, you can buy an amazing peeling device that's basically a short rubber tube in which you place unpeeled garlic, roll it back and forth against a flat surface with the palm of your hand a couple of times, et voila, perfectly effortlessly peeled garlic. As for the chopping, well this really isn't too difficult. You just dice it as you would any vegetable. But if you find that fiddly, remember that garlic does cook down when added to anything, so as long as you've even roughly chopped or sliced it so that you're not putting in a whole clove, it doesn't matter too much if it's not hand-minced to a chef standard of neatness. And you certainly don't need to use a garlic press. They're never particularly efficient, and they're an absolute bugger to clean. So forget about that particular gadget and get working on your knife skills. I honestly think that a kitchen without garlic is like a bedroom without a bed, missing something absolutely essential. Garlic flavours, fragrances and improves everything you add it to. If you're wary, well, as with any ingredient, start with a little and work your way up. Maybe use half the amount a recipe recommends, and then if you like it and make it again, use the full quantity the next time. But believe me, food really does taste better with garlic, garlic, garlic. That's it for this week. Thanks ever so much for listening. If you'd like to get in touch, you can tweet me at hrwright or send me an email to hrw at hughrichardwright.com. And I hope you'll join me next week for more of Hugh's Joy of Food. Hold up. 